going to read from Peter chapter 5, and we'll read the entire chapter, and our passage this morning will be verses uh, 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Then the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. You may remember the story uh, in the Old Testament of Solomon's son. Solomon uh, didn't necessarily end well. And uh, we also see this with the beginning of Solomon's son in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, uh, Rehoboam. And uh, Solomon apparently became very cruel at the end, uh, especially towards his own people. He had this uh, harsh attitude. And so the people came to Rehoboam at the end of Solomon's reign and said, uh, are you also going to be harsh like your father Solomon? And he said, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to discuss this with the leaders and, and with my friends. And so uh, he went back to the, to the elder leaders and he said, and they said this to, to Rehoboam. They said, if you will be kind to this people and please them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. Then he went and he actually rejected their advice and he ended up going to uh, his friends, the guys that he grew up with. And this is what they said. Instead, he took the advice of his young friends who he had grown up with 
and, and he reported what they said to him, to the people, and he said, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now, therefore, my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I with barbed whips. Very cruel, the heart, the, the nature, the, the attitude was one in which he would rule with harshness. Uh, and what ended up happening, as you probably know the story, is the nation was divided, and you have the ten tribes who left, and you have the two tribes that stayed. This past week, I was also reading from Mark, or Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus heard about the beheading of John. You may remember that story. It would have been devastating. All of a sudden, uh, Jesus gets the news, and he hears that his friend had been beheaded because of the whim of a leader. When Jesus heard about this, he did what we would do. He withdrew uh, by boat, and he went to a remote place alone. But interesting, and, and we know this from the life of Jesus, that the people would follow him, and he saw large crowds. And what happened when he saw the large crowds? Remember, this is Jesus. This is the one who was completely holy and who saw sin for what it was. When he, and, and he was hurting. When he saw the large crowds, we read, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them and he healed the sick. And then they were hungry. And then the disciples say, you know, you need to send them away because they need to go to the city and hit McDonald's and Harvey's or whatever it is because we can't feed them. And this is what they, Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You can give them something to eat. I love those words. Do you know that Jesus speaks those words to you? You don't need to go away, right? Jesus will give you something. Jesus will take care of the need. If you're a young boy or a young girl and you think, well, does Jesus ever look out? Will Jesus look after me? Jesus says these words to you. He says, you don't need to go away. Jesus welcomed the children to come to him. You give them something to eat. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us something to eat. He had a kind spirit, a practical kindness. It wasn't just, I love you, and then he, he did nothing, but he healed, and he fed, and he ultimately went to the cross. He created a culture of grace, a culture of mercy, a culture of kindness. That was his leadership. John chapter 13, 34, and 35 says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Rehoboam was harsh. Jesus filled with compassion, active, practical compassion. We are called to love as Jesus has loved. We don't think, I don't think I could be a Rehoboam, but I think I could once I come close to Jesus and I can see some of the harshness in my heart. We don't think that the church could be such a place. But I think Rehoboam is a warning, just as Jesus is an encouragement. 
the church, as we have been traveling through 1 Peter, when we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, is now a contrast to what we read about in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll see this in just a moment, is a place, is a world that's filled with suffering, a world that's filled with hatred, a world that's filled with lies. And now, in this last chapter, in these final words that Jesus, or that Peter brings to the church, he says, the church is to be a haven. In contrast to what you experience in chapter 4, you have chapter 5. Chapter 4 is the world and the hatred. Chapter 5 is the church and the love of Jesus Christ. The church is to be a place of rest in Christ and restoration so you can go back to chapter 4 and live in the world. And you can suffer injustice. You can suffer hatred. You can suffer for a little while more because the church is a place where we are shepherded and where we experience the expression of God's kindness so we can just enjoy God's love. The church is to be a contrast, and then he speaks to the elders. The elders are to be the example. They are to set the tone. People think, well, the elder, the church is all about methods. If we just do this method, do this method, why don't we do this? Why don't we say, you can do all the methods you want, Peter is basically saying. But what the elders are called to do is establish the heartbeat, the attitude of the church under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's one of love and kindness and mercy, selflessness. Actually, what we read, if we had time to go through the entire chapter, what you read is you would read in chapter 5, the call to humility, which leads to courage. The call of humility that leads to courage. Why isn't the church courageous today, you might, say, you might ask? And we might come up, we might have a number of books that we could say we could go through a 10-step process, but Peter summarizes it in one word. The church lacks courage, or you lack courage, I lack courage, because we lack humility. But if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then if it's a roaring lion or the fiery ordeals that we read of in chapter 4, we will stand firm. It's all summarized in that little phrase, stand firm. Just for a little while longer. Because he's going to support you, establish, strengthen, restore you. So, that's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to see the humility of Peter, the humility of leaders, and then the humility of the church. And we're all called to work in humility because humility leads away from Rehoboam, a harshness, and towards a Christ-likeness where we love one another and where we serve one another. So let's take a look, first of all, at verse 1, uh, the humility of Peter, the humility of Peter. Verse 1 says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Would you not love to sit and talk with Peter? He, I just think Peter would be one of those guys who you sit around the campfire with and he would have amazing stories to tell. Remember, like Peter, uh, in his life, he is just, he, he's just the leader, right, of the 12. He's the rock. 
And so you can imagine him just telling these stories where he's just stood up and these things have happened and he's done this and Christ has done this and Peter's just full of energy. You can imagine the stories that he tells and the things that he's been through. And yet, the way that he introduces himself in chapter 5 isn't as uh, Peter who hung out with Jesus, although he did. It isn't that Peter was this super apostle that's come to them, and he's going to, uh, in, in, in a way, he's going to uh, lord it over them. The very first thing that Peter says is, I exhort the elders, so he's going to talk to the leaders of the church, the elders, among you as a fellow elder. He identifies himself as a fellow elder. Paul would do this all the time. Paul would say fellow soldiers, fellow workers, fellow slaves, fellow prisoners, all under the great shepherd, all together. Peter isn't coming with a position of authority, but with empathy. He comes with the heart of the shepherd. He comes to be among the shepherds. He comes to be among the people, to watch with a heart of compassion. When he says fellow elder, he's basically saying, how can I serve you? And you can imagine how this strengthens the elders. Here's Peter, the great apostle, and he comes and he says, I am a fellow elder. Here is a well-seasoned elder. Here is a mature man of God, mentoring, bringing wisdom. And sometimes you know this in your life, that there are certain people that you have that come into your life, um, you know, you have this... Yeah, again, understanding all circumstances are different, but when your mom or dad comes home, okay, (laughs) it's going to be okay. Or when a grandparent comes in, it's going to be okay. There are people in your life where you can say it's going to be okay. When Peter comes as a fellow elder, he's basically saying it's okay. You can imagine the encouragement, these elders who are scattered and going through suffering, and we all know suffering or we all know inconvenience can divide the church. It can scatter the church. That's why I think he uses the shepherd imagery, because it's, uh, it, the church could easily scatter under persecution. The church could easily scatter under times where there's inconvenience. But Peter comes and he says, I am a fellow elder. He says, I get what you're going through. I get your suffering. I get your quiet tears. I know what you're going through. Such comfort, such mercy, such serving of Peter. Peter fully sympathizes. He is an under-shepherd of God's flock just as they are. It's a beautiful thing when we can come alongside one another and say, we're just fellow servants of Christ. And we seek to serve one another. And that's what Peter's doing here. But Peter is not just a fellow elder, but he is also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this could be taken one of two ways. I think it's taken the second way, but if it's taken the first way, that's fine as well. Um, A witness, um, and this is where he talks about his apostleship. But I actually think what Peter is doing is he's continuing to identify with them. So he's saying, we're doing the same work. And if I'm doing this work, it's kind of like Peter saying, come and follow me. You can keep on witnessing of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Do you ever get tired of, of the service that God has called you to? You know, one of the most difficult things, you know it, I know it, is when somebody comes to you and asks for help, and you know that you're going to have to tell them hard things. Would you just not love to be a good news person all the time? 
Like somebody comes in and somebody says, I'm going through, just do this. And you know they'll walk out and they'll say, beautiful, I'm going back. But this is what Peter's doing. Peter is telling them the hard things. He is saying, this is very, very difficult, but we're going to keep on preaching about the sufferings of Christ. And you're going to keep on telling the people of God that they are going to suffer for a little while longer. And you're going to talk about the great news of of sin because that's what people don't want to hear, but we're going to talk about it because it's through the sufferings of Christ for our sin that he rose from the dead and he gave everlasting life to all who repent and put their faith in him. That's not easy stuff. We can give up after a while. And with all the suffering, Peter comes along and he says, I'm a fellow elder and I'm not only a fellow elder, but I am also one who is witnessing the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Peter is suffering, the leaders are suffering, the church is suffering, they continue to talk about the sufferings of Christ, but he doesn't end there. Here's the hope that he gives, as well as the one who shares in the glory to be revealed. The whole package, Peter just gives them an entire ministry perspective. You want a ministry? You're a fellow servant of Christ. You're not only a fellow servant of Christ, but you will be one who talks about the sufferings of Christ. But it will all lead to, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. It's an amazing thing. And, and notice, if you're looking at verse 1, notice it's in the present. It's not, we think of glory in the future, but this is in the present. We're experiencing the glories in part. Not in fullness, but in part. That means whatever you're going through, you have the glories, the blessings of God laid upon you. That's why, that's why he talks about the, the roaring lion going around and seeking. It's like you have the blessings and the glories of God on you. Just when you think you need to give up, you're reminded there's strength every day. There's hope every day. There's mercy every day. Now, I just want to bring this uh, together, and then we'll look at the humility of church leaders. I, first of all, just, I'll take this, I'll take just 30 seconds to say, we need godly leaders. We do. We need godly mentors. We need godly young people leaders, young adult leaders, women's leaders, men's leaders, The field is whitened to harvest. You say, I'm not a leader. Well, how do you know? But can you be a leader? Is it worthwhile to be preparing yourself now for the next generation to stand up, be counted, to be an elder, a deacon, deaconess, a leader in the church? Peter talks about the heart of leadership. If you're in any sort of leadership, you're probably saying, like a parent, right? Grandparent. I don't know how good. I just sometimes just want to drop out of the race, right? You're not doing the right methods. Well, first of all, who says that? And secondly, it's not about the methods. It's about the, the heart. It is amazing. You, you can apply everything that's done here to families, to marriage. Do you shepherd your relationship? Do you shepherd your friendships? 
Do you shepherd your children? See, we've become such a step-by-step society that our, our children almost see us as programs rather than parents. And this is coming from Peter. This is coming from Peter who denied Jesus. And, and he had this conversation with Jesus, you may remember, do you love me? And this is what he says, feed my lamb, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. It's no wonder he talks about shepherding in just a moment. And so here you go. Do you feed the lambs? Do you feed the weak? Our teenagers. They come strong. But so many questions in our culture. The lambs. The generation that's gone before them. The Peters. To stand up and be accounted for and say, I'm, I'm engaged. I am all in on this. For the sake of Christ. And I'll talk about the sufferings of Christ, but I'll also talk about the glories of Christ. All by the grace of Christ. Okay, that's the, that's the humility of Peter. Here's the humility of church leaders. The humility of church leaders. So, I just want to just present... Uh, 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 just a sample of context because we talked about the difference between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Remember in chapter 4, actually in 1 through 4, you have the scattered people, right? The scattered people, scattered exiles who faced many hardships. We read in in, in, uh, chapters 1 through 4 that God's people will suffer for a short time. They will suffer, these are the words of Peter, they will suffer grief and various trials People, who experience inju- people will experience injustice under government, under slavery, under employment, and will have troubled, difficult marriages. They will be tempted to pay back evil for evil, insult for insult. They will struggle with fear and intimidation. They will be slandered. They will suffer for Christ. Peter says, don't be surprised or don't think it's unusual. Instead, know that there is a glory to come and you are blessed. We even read, as Peter ended just before verse chapter 5, the righteous person is saved with difficulty. You will be saved through difficulty. This world seeks to crush you. And in fact, the very final words before Peter comes to chapter 5 is, entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing what is good. In all... when. When, you, when you're in this world, the big thing that you're going to do and I'm going to do is I have to entrust myself to a faithful creator to keep on doing good. I just have to say, God, you got this. You'll look after this. You'll look after all of the, I entrust myself to you. In other words, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. We're going to find ourselves under a lot of suffering. That's chapters 1 through 4. And then you come to chapter 5, and what do you have? Chap- Peter's humility, and then in verse 2, shepherd. God's flock. Isn't that amazing, the contrast? You have all this suffering, all this pain, all this hurt, and this is what Peter says to leaders, shepherd, love, care for. You can entrust yourself to the creator because he's the great shepherd. He cares for you. And in contrast to the world, these scattered exiles have this gathering of God's people. And we don't become the church when we're here. We're always the church, but we have this opportunity to be together as a haven of rest and a place of restoration so that we're built up to not only live in a crushing world with hope and with holiness, but to do what is good for one another, with one another, as fellow servants of Jesus Christ. 
I'll give you a quick, uh, you, you can look at this later, but Ezekiel, you might remember this, Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about uh, false shepherds and the good shepherd. And this is why we started with uh, Rehoboam and his harshness. This is Ezekiel chapter 34, and we read um, in verse 2, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? Notice what they're doing? They're feeding themselves. Shouldn't they be feeding the, or shouldn't they be feeding the flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals. But you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. Notice what a shepherd does, strengthens the weak, heals the sick, bandages the injured, brings back the strays, seeks the lost. Christ, the perfect shepherd. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. There was no one searching or seeking for them. Those are the false shepherds. But, Jesus, but Peter welcomes them to the true shepherd. Listen to verse 11. For this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among the scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. And it goes on like this about how Jesus or the great shepherd will feed them, will love them. But notice what it says. He gathers them from among the nations. And that's what he's done with you. He's gathered you from among the nations. He's the scattered people, the exiles, and he's brought them together. Here is this great shepherd that cares for you. John chapter 10 also speaks about the great shepherd, the great shepherd who will not let you go from his hands. There is nothing can, that can steal you from the shepherding hand of God. And so what does Peter say to the leaders? Peter says to the leaders, what type of atmosphere, what type of, of attitude are you bringing Are the sheep scattered because you don't pursue the lost? You don't have the difficult, gracious conversations? As parents, as grandparents, aunts and uncles, are you shepherding your children? Are they scattered? And they need the voice of the great shepherd through you? What does Peter say to leaders? Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. He's going to speak about three enemies of humility. The three enemies of humility, not overseen out of compulsion. That's why I think this, I mean, this is obviously elders, but it fits so well with, with family, with parenting, right? You ever feel like you're just doing it out of compulsion? <laughs> wake up the next day, wake up the next day. He says to elders, what happens basically when you oversee with compulsion? You become harsh. You become demanding. You become complaining. You're a complainer. Sometimes we say, I need to serve because God needs me out of compulsion. Or I need this. 
or somebody else needs to see this in me without the God-given motivation. I love what God does here. I love what Peter does here because he does the same thing he does with giving. If you don't give with a cheerful heart, don't give. If you don't serve with a cheerful heart, don't serve. It's not what the church needs. It's an astounding thing. God doesn't need any of us, does he? He's gracious to use us, but he doesn't need us. I'm not, no, nobody's here rescuing God's work. So we walk humbly before our God. But P, what Peter does is he builds humility. He says, but willingly. I love where he starts willingly because we don't always start enthusiastically. That'll come second. He starts willingly. He says, just begin with this prayer. God, I feel like so much of my life is under compulsion. Make me a willing servant. How do you become willing? As God would have you. In other words, God's ways. As an elder, God sets the agenda. It's God's word, by God's spirit, with God's heart. That's the agenda. Are there certain things that are hard to preach, hard to say, hard to count? 100%. But it's God's word, by God's spirit, with God's heart. Same thing with family, same thing with marriage, same with the grandparents, same thing with friendship. God's word, God's spirit, God's heart. That's the agenda. Willingly, as God would have you. And then he goes on secondly and he says, not out of greed for money. That's what we just read in Ezekiel 34, right? Not out of greed for money. Not to get the best piece of meat um, from the barbecue. Otherwise, we become lethargic and we become lazy and we don't attend to the duties that God gives us to do. So notice what he says, not out of greed for money, which is a real word for today. Ministry is not about self-comfort. In fact, Jesus, he, he eagerly loved selflessly. What did he do? He was eager. Notice this, it doesn't go eager and then willingly. It goes willingly and then eagerly. When you find a willingness, you will find an eagerness. And why will you find an eagerness? Because to die to yourself and to live to Christ is actually to find life. The world has it backwards. And then Jesus um, sets that great example for us. So not uh, compulsion, willingly. Not greed of money, eagerly. And then finally, not lording it over those who entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. If you have a heart of willingness, eagerly, in humility, you will be an example. People say, well, how do I parent? How, what, like, I don't know if I'm gifted. I, you would much rather see an elder with a heart than superabounding gifts because that's a 1 Corinthians 13 moment. Without love, you're just a gonging, clashing symbol. Right? So, what do we read here? Being examples to the flock, what begins to happen is you begin to serve willingly, then eagerly, and then uh, you become examples of the flock. What happens if you are greedy for money? Families can be the same way. Everything's about money. Everything's about advancement. No time with the kids. 
Same thing under compulsion. I'm just doing this because I believe in a harsh God. God's very harsh. Um, and so uh, everything's compulsion. Everything's because somebody's told me what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. Everything's, everything's there's no gray zones. What ends up happening if that's the case? You begin to lord it over others. That becomes your ministry. That becomes your family. You do it because they tell, you tell them to do it. That's lording it over. The opposite of what Christ is, is he's a shepherd. And he comes among the people. He gave his life. He's the great example of kindness and mercy. And so he says, be that example. The greatest gift you can give a church is the example of Christ-likeness. The greatest gift you can give your friends, your family, whoever it might be, is a Christ-likeness. He came selflessly to serve. He came to give his life. And then we read in verse 4 the encouragement. That's hard work. Those three things are difficult. If you walk out of here and say, oh, I got that. I'm glad I was here this morning. We haven't understood it. We need grace for that. I'm not going to do this willingly, eagerly, or I will, do, like, do not follow my example. That's where I am naturally. It's only by God's grace that any of that might be, might happen. But so we need encouragement. Verse 4, verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears. Isn't that beautiful? You could just stop there. Thankfully, it doesn't. When the chief shepherd appears. Listen, <laughs> this is all going to go away someday. The chief shepherd appears. But listen to this. Listen to what the chief shepherd says. And, and I want to speak specifically to the elders because the elders bear a crushing weight. And Grace Bible Church has been given gifted, gifted elders that begins with their heart for you. If you could hear the prayers of the elders for you as we meet, for the well-being of God's people in this world. Those are the elders that serve you. And for those elders that are serving, listen to this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Isn't that beautiful? This unfading crown. So much of Work is done behind the scenes. Nobody sees it. Nobody sees the tears. Nobody knows of the, the sleepless night. And this isn't sympathy. This is if you're thinking of eldership, then you know what's out there. But I, I was thinking about this last night. I think I wrote it down. It doesn't matter. I'll try and say it. And then we'll go to the last point, which is quick. It is amazing to think, like, who are you and who am I that we would be offered a crown of unfading glory? What have I done? What have I done? What have you done? Are you all that and more? Am I all that and more? It is incredibly humbling that the God of the nations would even know about Grace Bible Church. 
and gather us in from the nations and say, yeah, this is hard and this is not easy, but it's a haven, it's a place of rest and restoration, but you will receive a crown of unfading glory. Unfading glory is the blessings of God for all eternity, and it will never fade. You will have this, this glory come at you, the blessings, the goodness, the love of God just coming at you over and over again, and it never fades. That's the crown. Because you have sought in humility to love people with kindness. There is a way you can tell the truth and drive away people. And there is a way you can tell the truth, and they are welcomed. It's like we talked about last week, John chapter 4, and, and Jesus, the Samaritan woman, Jesus showed his glory, then welcomed her in. She was engaged in that conversation because of the overwhelming humility and kindness of Jesus. And then what we do, the humility of the church, and I'll just mention where we're going to go. Um, and then uh, the next time I'm back after vacation, we'll finish the, the book. I, was, I missed it by one Sunday, but here we are. Um, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Now, why does he, why does he do this? I think, I, think he's just, I think he's talking about two places where, where pride can be. Um, you can be a proud elder. That's the temptation. Lord it over, all that kind of stuff. But, and I don't think Peter's knocking young, the younger generation, young people and young adults, but Peter's saying, he's basically saying, I think, I love your enthusiasm. There, there's, you, those who are older, you remember it. When you were younger, it was like, let's go. Time to conquer that world. And then you get knocked around by life a little bit. And the problem, I think, with the older that you get is you become more hesitant. You become more, you, be, you become less, yeah, let's do this, because you're afraid to get knocked down again. And so Peter is saying, I think, we need, we need older voices, we need younger voices, we need male, female, we need different cultural voices within the church but when you are filled with enthusiasm and when you haven't been knocked around by life, he's calling the church as the elders humble themselves before God's people, those who are filled with their agenda, humble yourself before the elders, ultimately before the chief shepherd, because all of this is God's work toward one another. So what you have is you have this haven of rest where elders are serving, young are serving, um, middle-aged, different cultures all coming together. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. Are we willing to be patient? Are we willing to love with kindness? Does everybody need to fit into my arrangement? Does everything need to happen my way, my ideas, my worldview, my politics, my whatever? Is that how we serve one another? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. All of this leads to what we'll see next time. It leads to courage. It leads to courage for you to do these two things, and this is where we close. At the end of verse 12, it talks about the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of God, 
And then it also gives you grace, she who is in Babylon. Notice the two in words. Stand firm in grace. As you stand firm in grace, you will be able to stand firm in Babylon. As you walk humbly in a world that wants to make you bitter, Twitter bitter. That's my new, Twitter's bitter. It wants to make you Twitter bitter. Kind of hide behind things and just launch out at people. That's what the world wants. But you come in for rest and restoration. And you are filled with the love that Christ has for you. So you go out in love as Christ has loved you. Stand firm in the grace then so that you can stand firm in Babylon. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the amazing wisdom and the honest truth of an opportunity to serve you so that we do not become embittered, broken, disillusioned people, but as those who are shepherded by the great shepherd, Give us grace to stand firm in your grace. Give us grace to be gracious to others. Help us to be an example. And then give us grace to stand in Babylon. Give us the courage to do that. Father, thank you for those here and those online. May your blessings rest on us. Thank you for the leadership of grace elders and deacons, deaconess. Father, by your grace, build them up. Give them rest and restoration and give them courage. In Jesus' name, amen.